Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. A one, a two, a one, two, three, four. <laughs> Another beautiful day on the Victor Bravo Go course. The sun is shining. The birds are about, and there's a sudden pause in the crowd. Michael Michelson steps up to the tee box. 15th hole here, driver's recommended. <laughs> oh, is he a caveman? Because it's suddenly clubbed that one. What do you reckon, George? <laughs> I mean, did he hit that with the dictionary? Because that was a terrible read. <laughs> oh, G'day and welcome. This is Golf. Andrew Dado is my name. Nice to have your company. Often I do a shout out to say if you know someone with an interesting golfing story or history or pedigree or something to share, get in touch and I'd love to talk to them. The way to do that is to find me at Andrew Datto. Do it on Instagram. I don't really go on the face ache. Um, but Instagram, certainly. Anyway, I did get a message from someone a while ago and I can't find it, but they said, why don't you talk to your dad who helped put Lonsdale links together and also... Moonalinks and also was part of the National Golf Club. I'm sure he's got a story to tell. So I went, why not? Uh, Dad's up from Melbourne visiting. So I thought, let's sit down and have a chat about his life in golf. So that's what I've done. And I hope you enjoy it. And I hope it's not too in. Um, but I think you will. It's very interesting. Uh, certainly not a golfing beginning in a professional sense but that is certainly the way it's ended up and it's a really nice insight into the way the the making and the creation of a golf course and our better golf experiences actually happens so in the spirit of sharing stories and again if you do have someone get in touch with me on instagram at andrew Dado, and i'd love to hear from you but this is my dad peter Dado, 84 years old and uh a very good golfing story to tell I hope you enjoy it. We started at the beginning with how did you come to the game of golf or did the game of golf come to you? Where did it start, Dad? Where did it start? My mother bought the game of golf to me. As kids, we used to go over to a golf course called Wattle Park in Victoria, suburban Victoria. Where's, where was that? Uh, sort what, of near Campbell. It, it was in Wattle Park, was the name of the suburb. Yeah, yeah. And it was just a lovely little country, a little uh, small course, not a not a proper championship course or anything. Very hilly, and the main road, Warrigal Road, I remember, where you could punch a hook out there very easily. Yeah. Uh, but it was just a, a good way to learn golf. Mother used to play at Huntingdale, 
Um, Dad was a member there but never played. Yeah, I don't remember Parry ever playing. No, he never played golf. And I don't yeah. remember Grand playing. No, in your time she wasn't. She wasn't as well as she was should she, have been. Was then. she good? No. Just, <laughs> just enjoyed it. Yeah. Like the rest of us. Became a family trader, actually. Yeah. But it was just a super place to play and to uh, learn to swing a golf club. She was she had a nice, comfortable swing, and she taught us to do that. The and problem was that I was a when I did play cricket, which was very rarely and not very well. I was a left-hand batsman, and I picked up my father's clubs, which are right-handed clubs, with my left-handed grip. And to this day, I've never changed that. So I play with a reverse left-handed grip on right-handed clubs. Right. So that wasn't. Which so that you, was just an accident. It was just, yeah, that was a natural thing for me to do and it frightens the crikeys out of anyone I play golf yeah, with. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Mm. We'll get to what that actually, mm, okay. what, what that's meant for you. What did Granny teach you about golf? Oh, just swinging, just how to hit a golf ball, swing. Uh, didn't really, there was no expertise about it. It was just this is what you do when you swing a golf club and that's what we did and she, that's how we learned. She, she couldn't have been much of a teacher if she didn't try and get you on the right side of the ball. Or get your hands the right way. Well, yeah. If I'd gone to the right side of the ball, I would have had the club head back to front. So, yeah, right. what, you know, I was playing. So did she ever try and say? No, no. She thought it was quite funny, actually. I think. Right. Okay. Retrospect. But, and so, what about your brothers? Because I don't think they're even golfers. Uh, David never played golf, to my knowledge. My middle brother, but Michael uh, did. He was uh, one of those slam dunk, hit them as hard as you can type of golfers. So yeah. there were a lot of divots around where he played, <laughs> but it was good fun. Uh, but he didn't, I, I'd sort of more often than not, it wasn't with my brothers and mum that we went to Wattle Park. It was simple. I just have a memory of it being more me and mum than, than anybody else. So, okay. Yeah. Because you're the youngest and... Yeah, I was really well. I was very close <laughs> to the Burwood Boys home where she threatened to send me if I didn't behave. Um, did you, like you ended up playing, like you've played golf your whole life. Yeah, we played, uh, We after school time when we, we were I you know, played a lot of sport and football and other things, but after footy, uh, the school mates around me, we joined Rivsdale Golf Club, which yeah. is in Mount Waverley in Melbourne. Yeah, Rivsdale's famously hilly, hilly, hilly. Very hilly. And at that time also, um, it had been there for a very, very long time. I think they probably celebrated their 100 years while we were kids. Uh, and they had... Um, Problems with drainage, so there was a lot of very wet spots on that course. But there are some lovely holes, beautiful trees, and some really you know challenging holes. And my mates all played much better golf than I did. Um, you know, a couple of them were in very low single figures, and I was sitting around higher than that. But did get down How to eleven at right. Riversdale and stayed at eleven for a very quite a long time. When we moved to other courses, as we all grew up a bit, but, but good fun. Did so. Do you look back and by getting to eleven and feel you missed the opportunity of getting to like was getting to singles always the plan? I'd like that, to, you know, like I'd like to be able to say brag. that. Yeah, no, I'd like to be able to say that because the the crew that I played with every Saturday at Riverstar were two of them were in two and three. Yeah, one of them was on about seven, so I was. Wanted to be that. And at that stage, I wasn't even at 11. I was probably 16, 15 or right. so, and then got down to 11 and thinking, I'm going to catch you guys. And I never did. <laughs> Very sad, actually. And you never did. Never and got so, there. And, and, and so them now, so you're 84. Four. Hmm. Um, so your mates who you used to play golf with are largely still around. 
Yes. Right. Yeah, we are. All of us are still around, yeah. which is fantastic. And all still golfing. All still golfing. We, right. do it, we do it twice a year. Stay over at Bowen Heads and do it twice a year. And so your handicap now is? 28. Right. And your mates are off two and three? At 24. Right. So you've caught them. So, oh, I've caught them. <laughs> and I'm likely to even do better than them soon because right. they're all getting a bit stiff and crunchy. And, and, and before we get on to your, the, the business of, your business in golf, yeah. which is what I wanted to talk to you about, um, what is it about golf that's kept you in the game? Well, it's, it's a good question. I, uh, I love the walk, love the company, certainly love the company when you're playing with guys. We've always been a little bit risque in our <laughs> words to each other, on a course, but it, it's, I think it's just the challenge of the game itself. Um, as you know, you've, you've kept passing down clubs that you no longer use to me, and I experiment as you've experimented <laughs> with them, and that's turned out you've to be... You've actually got that, some wedges that I... Yeah, they're impossible to use. Want back. Oh, do you? You don't, want, you don't want them? No, one of them, the 49's good, but the 70, yeah, the other one, the 58, very hard. Oh. They're too hard. They're and too heavy. Just for the record, I did give him three wedges, but he's only got two. <laughs> now, the other Hogan's, one be, it's somewhere. Yeah, it'll, it'll be, be somewhere. somewhere. Rightio. Um, now... You've just finished project directing uh, Lonsdale Links Golf Club. So turning Point mm. Lonsdale, where we used to play as kids, mm. into... Uh, oh, sorry. Just sorry. One last question. Mm. Where did you learn your etiquette of the game? Oh, I think um, the boys we played with at Riverstar when we were... Really, this, it was from about the age of 20, 19 or 20 on when we'd finished playing amateur footy. Uh, their parents were there and we often played with their parents who were particularly one father, Richard Launder's father, was very a very good golfer, but he, he taught us all etiquette. Right. How to behave on a course, well, how and, to... And bend, what... Uh, particularly speed. Mm, particularly an speed. An issue, isn't it? Yeah, and if you've lost a ball, it's your problem, not everybody else's yeah, on right. the course, so you don't go, you know, four of you don't go tramping in the rough other than... If you're passing, happen to be close, but otherwise, get on with your game. And if he can't find the ball, that's his problem. He's got his card to mark, and that's his problem. Yeah, right. Which I think is absolutely right, and it's not taught today. And today, too many people are measuring distances with with lasers. Oh. You look like your children. Yeah, I, have, I hear you have children who do that. I do have children who do that. One takes an enormous amount of time over his swing practice. But we were, you know, we knew That's what 50 me, yards were. We, we, all, we all swam 50 yards, so we all knew what 50 yards was. So, so yeah, it's an, it, you don't it's have to have a machine to tell you. Yeah, so just for the record, for, so that people listening know, you know, like we would play with you at Peninsula and you would hit the ball. The ball. And if we went duff duff, you would, we would just pick it up, pick it up, mm. let's go on. Correct. <laughs> like, and you live in fear of the group behind. Yes. And which is something that you've handed on to, well, certainly me. Yeah. I, I live in fear of the, the chasing group, the pack, um, and have great annoyance at a, the slow group in front mm. and the clear land in front of the group in front. So I, I guess that's good. Well, it's I mean, what it's what happens in golf, unfortunately, and mm. you 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 end up if you happen to be the one or two in your group, and, and I referred to the name Richard Launder before. We, he's he's like me, only wants to play at a reasonable a pace. He yeah. can now no longer 
walk, of course, so he's in a car, but we do want to keep the pace up. Yeah. And you're right, it's when those in front aren't, you get cranky. Yeah, and then we totally you know someone's go. behind yeah. pushing and you the go, pack. well, you know, what, you know. So, yeah, and that's, that's where I think we just haven't done properly by young golfers the etiquette of the game and the speed of the game and the essence yeah. of it. You don't want to be out there for four and a half hours. You want to be, you should be able to play an 18 hole in three and three and quarter hours, and that's the end of it, no yeah. more than that. Mm. I mean, the beer gets warm otherwise. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do envy people who have no sense of the pack behind, who can just stand there and just play without even understanding that they're holding anyone up. And, yeah, try, I mean, to, try to avoid those people if you yeah, can. Yeah, no, no, I do. I do. have no sense. I have a list. Do you have a list? Do you have a list of the people that you won't play with? Oh, it's only a couple. Okay. That's not yeah. a list. How many lists do you reckon you're on? <laughs> oh, I'd be on quite a few. <laughs> Um, all right, so you've just finished as the project director for Lonsdale Links. So yeah. Lonsdale Links, um, so Point Lonsdale was a uh, coastal holiday course. It was fine. It was just fine. Like literally, it, it was the true definition of a fine golf course, wasn't it? Like, it wasn't good. Yeah, it was a little, bad, it was a little seaside, uh, seaside community golf yeah. course as and, a member and a member and Greenfield playing golf course. Yeah, but, and and quite good fun. And then yeah. the plan was to turn it into something. Different well, it went broke. Yeah, it it lost. Uh, it was an older membership, and uh, the subs were, the subs weren't holding up to being able to manage the, the costs of running a golf course, and it just went. It was going broke. Yeah, and I think the recognition of that in this particular instance was way back in the year two thousand when a group of the older members decided that we've got a real problem here, um, and they decided to start doing some planning around how do we get out of this problem. So for 10 years, from 2000 into 2010, they were really still working out how do we get over this problem going broke quicker. Yeah, it feels like 10 years is a long time to be trying to work out how yeah. to avoid no, going no, no. broke. Well, you know, if the writing's on the wall. Yep. I mean, I'm, I don't mean, I'm not making a joke about it, but like 10 years is a lot. Like, yeah. I figure if I'm going broke, I want to yeah. deal with it a bit faster Well, I think that. I think in fairness, 10 years ago, they probably weren't going broke, but by the time well, they, they asked me if I would come along to talk to them, yeah. um, they were absolutely financially going down the Google. They were borrowing from the banks and they had uh, some some of their more wealthy, they have some wealthy members, but some of the more wealthy members had underwritten a bit of it. Uh, so the, the writing was on the wall, they weren't going to survive. And then what happens then? Is there another golf club going to take them on or is the yeah. council going to close it down? It's the most beautiful piece of land. And so a group really set about writing how you do, how you did fix it. Okay, and so the... the Question for you is, how do you, as a former costume, costume jewellery company person and a pharmaceutical person, mm. end up doing golf? Now, I know some of the story. What? Yeah. But it started at the National. So even then, when to be on the board of the National, like the original board, so yep. you had your fingers deep in the making of that golf club. Yeah. Which is still the best golf, well, I reckon... I don't know what my opinion's worth, but the best golfing facility in the country mm. by a mile. Mm. Um, how do you... Well, Bamboogle. It's very good. <laughs> well, you, you'll start thinking of others too. This <laughs> yeah, could yeah. take some time to get to the point. <laughs> but, um, but, but how did you get involved in the National as it, when it first started? Because you, your history in golf was a, 
right-hander with a left-handed grip and some mates who played the game. Mm. So is that was that how it began? Or? Mm, no. Oh, well, I think it began because of my association with those with those people. Um, but the national was always uh, was a concept that was born out of some golfing people, but with but fairly astute business people who wanted had this. There was a track of land down there. The fellow called Colin Campbell was building. Uh, so he started he, building a he course. He physically started building a course himself. Was we used to go down designer? and watch it. No, he was, he was just a golfing nut who owned a piece of land and he was turning it into a, a couple of holes to his golf course. And this was the, so he, this so was sort was, of the spark. That yeah, he was you started. at... Um, the last place you leave? Not, you know, Karunba? Did, <laughs> yeah. In Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, oh, we'll put a golf hole there. Yeah. So you'd go and cut a green. So that was... Correct. Him. Yeah, but he he was dealing with a, with a piece of land which was just quite beautiful but massed in tea tree. So he was working unbelievable... Like, unbelievable odds to make a course out of what he was doing. Mm. He was cutting through tea tree with tractors and goodness knows what. But did, did, did that's he... years ago. That is a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. And, and really the national, um, it, it finally got launched in 1985 as a, as a place. Mm. And it was at the, it was at the, uh, the Australian, one of the yeah, events at Huntingdale. The concept but, started concept. in 1985. Yeah, that, but did... they introduced the national at the... What was the what was the big Australian event? Was it the Huntingdale Golf Course, the Masters, oh, the, Masters. the Masters in eighty five at the, the Masters? Tradition continues, correct? No longer, no longer. Did he, did Campbell? So just back to Campbell. Did he not look? Did he not look east or southward and see all that grazing land, or was that not his? Because there's the grazing land yeah. where there's the new courses, yeah, yeah, which would have been much easier than. Yeah. No, I, can, I, I don't can't tell you that. I don't know. Oh, okay. I, I simply don't know what he was looking at. But I do know I went with Richard a couple of times to have a look at the path he was cutting into. I mean, the the national cut through a lot of the country that Colin Campbell was dealing with. Yeah. Um, beside them, there are the grazing parts, and they were the they were the final. Was that his land as well? No, 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 no. Okay, no, no. So uh, you know, it goes it goes back to that. But so that, as I said, that they were they were a group of fairly astute business guys and golfers that decided the national was an opportunity, and they got Trent Jones, who was the top architect in America at the time, to come out and have a look at this piece of land, who absolutely thought it was extraordinary, and built what's called the the open course on it, the, and um, not the open course, the um, the old course, the old course. Was it called the old course? Uh, yeah, from the very beginning. I think so. Yeah, yeah it's I pretty clever, isn't it? So it was. It was. Um, they asked. They. I knew a couple of them that were on the board, particularly Richard Launder's brother David, who was in, uh, in in Riversdale in the early days, and he began to came through a golfing family. He was one of the instigators to uh, develop the national, and in '88 he asked me if I'd come onto the board. Now that was purely that was in there as a as just a, another business head to right. and we'd come back from America. So I I introduced to that board a few of the things that I'd seen in some clubs in America. Right. You know, so levies just, and things like that yeah, which allowed so, them to get some finance up front. So just to fill in that gap when when we were kids so you were working for Nicholas Aspro and yeah. As, yeah, Aspro. so Nicholas made Aspro. Yep. Hang on, you worked, the... Nicholas was the company. Yep. Who made Aspro? Correct. You didn't work for Aspro. No. You took Aspro. I took Aspro, but I didn't work for <laughs> Lots of Aspro. Yeah. And Bex. I mean, I certainly Bex when I had better. kids, I took Aspro. <laughs> so you're working for Nicholas. Nicholas went to America 
So we as a family went and lived in New Jersey. Correct. So you yep. go, got a whole bunch of intel without even knowing you were going to get intel over there. Is that what happened? Yeah, it's a bit that because, as you know, we didn't play much golf in America. You didn't play at all, the did Canoe you? Canoebrook was the closest to yeah, us, and I think I only best. played that once, and you guys did the caddying down there and yeah, played much great. more than I did. Mm. But um, the one thing I did pick up in America was just the, the way they funded some of their things were forward cash flow funding, and that was by levies. So you paid a levy up front every membership. You had your subs, but you paid a levy. And that was one of the things I brought back to the National because we were very poor, cash poor, and another again, another group of, of five or six people put serious money in behind it to make it, to make it work. So I, I just part of the processes of determining how we were going to fund the club, um, the levy was a very obvious choice. Now, the National really started a new concept, and that was that it wasn't just going to survive by subscriptions in membership, it was going to, it was going to be a different concept as a, as a National Golf Holdings was a public company with shares, and you bought shares in that. Not, not you didn't. You had subs that followed that, but you were you were a part owner of the course. And Unlike that hadn't a, been done here before. No, I mean the, the Kingston Heaths and the Royal Melbournes were all you paid a, an upfront fee to come into them. But if you left, you didn't get your money back. Yeah. But if you left the National, you had the opportunity to sell your share through the its own domestic market being run by the club or or just doing a private treaty with somebody from outside. And so did, you took that idea to them? No, no, no. They were into okay. that by the time well, I joined did, their board. Just with the cash levy, hasn't that always been a thing in, a, in golf courses? You know, they go that we need a levy with the sand levy or the flood levy or the <laughs> yeah. bloody yeah. buy the, buy the four-holes houses down the 15th levy. Yeah, I think, that, I think yes, you're right. They had calls on, on capital works that sort of had to be done. But I think the levy concept was more a food and drink levy. Yeah, yeah, so you okay. were getting a benefit from it yourself if you used it. But it, oh, okay. me, it meant a cash flow forward. So at the beginning of the year, if you had a 1,000 members and they all had to put in $300, it's a fair bit of cash suddenly appears at the front door of your, of your opening financial year over and above your subs. But if you're paying a call on Capital Works, that goes into the course. You never get the benefit of that other than the works that are done on the course. Okay. All right. So it's the enjoy yourself levy. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And if you don't drink... I mean, the Bowen Heads right now in their balance sheet every year, there's a figure of about $70,000 that hasn't been used out of their levy. What's wrong with them? Sits there. Oh, what do they not... They just don't buy the right wine. They just, don't, they just don't buy the good enough wine. Okay. Well, so that's interesting. Mm. So... Um, did you get to meet Trent Jones at all, or that's Robert Trent Jones, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I didn't get to meet him. Uh, they were when I when I came on the board, they were underway. They'd right. actually so they had a very very initial early board, uh, chaired by a fellow called Peter Foster from Western Australia, but Michael Hampson was as vice president when I joined, and he I knew him vaguely, but David Lawn I knew well, and there was a property developer on the board. And there were five of us when I came on. Right. And that was the sort of start of forming the course and everything being underway. We're forming how the, how the structure of the shares and the concept would run. And again, remembering it was run not as a, it was run as a business. You know, there wasn't a golf committee or there wasn't a, a golf club committee as such. And they retained that. Yeah, there is now. And they was eventually, even yeah. in my time there, they developed a club committee which was running events and things. But... So, uh, but they were they were very fortunate because they had land around them, and and Michael Hanson was the one who uh, 
talked to one of the landowners after they had had the Trent Jones Force put in and fortuitously found that that land could be purchased and they purchased it right. to their great you know, credit and that became two other courses. Did, did, you, did it change the way you looked at the game of golf at all? Did you, did you, it didn't did change. Did you become my, a bit more of a golf, golf knob or it, do you know what I mean? Like in no, the sense of a... <laughs> no, I'd, I'd, yeah, because I was a bit of a backroom part of the system, you know, I was process, you know processes rather than... Yeah. It didn't change my grip, if that's what you mean. I didn't turn around and go, well, the other side of the club and use left-handed yeah. clubs. But it, it changed. It, look, I learned an enormous amount because you did touch base with people who knew what they were talking about. Mm. So they, if you're paying attention, that gets in there eventually. Okay, so from the National to Moona to the home of Australian golf. Mm. So, that, so mm. did they... How did you end up at Moona as the... The CEO of Golf Australia—that's another backroom job, sort of. Well, what that, I mean is in the in the business sense, y- y- not in that. Yeah, no, that that was a bit more interesting. It was a bit more right up front because I was running the affairs of the club at that stage. But again, that was they were having their their own troubles, uh, and remembering that that was a farm owned by a private individual who decided it would make perfect golf country, and he converted that and went to the AGU, the Australian Golf Union. Uh, and sold them a deal, and they owned 25% of, a, of Moona Links, which was called um, Golf Australia Holdings. Uh, is this before it was built? This is before it was built. This is to get the did concept you, so off did, the ground. Right. So did you yep. come in at the very beginning? No, no, again, I was, they were well underway Cleaning while I was still at the National, and they had their first course, their first course built. They were working out of temporary clubhouses. Oh, right. Um, and they were just starting the new clubhouse when I came. When they, and I was just inv- I knew a couple of their guys on the board, and they were looking for someone they invited to come, me to come down and have an interview with them. And they were, I was always, I wondered why on earth they took me on because I, I remember one of the meetings, a fellow called Colin Phillips was the, was the AGU representative, fantastic yeah, man who did, name. just a fantastic guy. Um, who was a big administrator in golf, and we were sitting in one of the meetings that I had with them as a board with Colin on it, remembering that they wanted to turn this, as you said, the home of golf, this home of Australian golf, yeah. to have the Australian Open there, and the concept repeatedly. was very much to have that, have it repeatedly. And, and I said to them in this meeting, look, um, you know, you're, you're building the best golf course, and the fact that, uh, uh, you know, you're all sweating about whether you will or won't be able to succeed getting the Australian Open. So I said, I, said, I wouldn't wear a whole lot of black if you didn't get the Australian Open up. <laughs> I thought, oh, this is, I've sunk my chances of being here. And Colin Phillips afterwards said to me, it was an interesting comment you made about that, but the whole reason we want to do this is to get our Australian Golf the Open Championship here and play it every four or five years on this course. I, I think they were, the so plan was, was to play uh, it more. I think it was to make it a re- every other year return. Uh, Oh, I th- that- I'm not sure. I, I, I don't think it was quite as quick as that. But I, look, it, it may have been. It only had one, didn't it? Two. Two. 203 and 205. Uh, so it was... It was um, Peter Lonard won the first and, and uh, Allenby won the second. Right. But it was... So they, they took me on. As, they wanted me to take on the CEO job. And, and that was running... The, that, by then, uh, we completed the golf clubhouse. We had the, the open course... Uh, we had the legends in concept. Yeah, who designed the legends? Um, Ross Perrett. Right. Thompson Perrett and Wolverich were the architects yeah. of the. Did you have anything course. to do with Wolverich and Thompson? Well, I knew Michael Wolverich. 
and, and I must uh, the one benefit the one benefit in my life was that I got to know Peter Thompson, who was just a thorough gentleman. He was yeah. a lovely, lovely man. And so, how were the what were the golf dealings like with with him? Well, he he was um, always sort of pop, he'd pop into my office and say, "How are you getting on with the <laughs> with the chairman?" Because he knew the chairman was a bit of a loose cannon. We yeah. were having trouble with that. So you, were the CEO, and, and the chairman was he's above you. The chairman was chairman yeah. of the company. Yeah, yeah clearly. Yeah. He could get rid of me any time he liked. Okay, yeah. But it was, uh, and the board, were, they were a funny board. They had their own demons, and eventually they moved the chairman on. He was the guy who owned the property. Yeah. So he got moved on. Another one took the place, and Peter Thompson was coming and said, how are you getting on with Bill? And so, well, Peter, it's, you know, I'm having <laughs> a moment about this. Because there are a lot of, you, when you're putting a golf course down, you're going through a lot of, of uh, work with councils, getting approvals, getting, uh, you know, con- uh, the, whole, the whole, it's not just a let's stick a golf course up and get on with it. There are mm. environmental issues that are crazy. Mm. The frogs. You know, they were the serious. Well, yeah, frogs There's or, or orange-bellied <laughs> parrots or, you know, goodness knows what. So, but and, and I understand that, and I think genuinely if you pass those tests, then you've done really well. Yeah. You've, you've, made, a, you've made a contribution. And, but we, the board wanted to open the Legends, Hang on, you uh, just glazed right over Peter Thompson. Did you, oh, did you get a sense of, of that Thompson was not going well with the chairman as well? Oh no, they thought uh, Bill thought he was having a lovely time with Peter Thompson. No, Peter it was Tom- just that Peter Thompson knew that Bill was a bit difficult yeah. to deal with him and was genuinely saying, "How are you getting on? Can you right. work this out, all right, with him? And can I help?" Did you ever get to and, play uh, with him with Thompson at all? Or? No, no. I sat with him a couple of times in the Australian Open. I was standing on one of the hills. The best part about the that course was that you could sit anywhere and watch five holes. Yeah. Stand, look one way, look west, north, south and east, and there you found a golf hole. And I remember one day he called me and said, come and sit and just watch this. So I sat and just, he talked people coming up to greens and putting on greens and things, which was fabulous. He, he, sorry, he, so, like he commentated he did, yeah, for just you? just quietly, just between us. See how he's yeah. going to do this shot? Yeah, wow. But he was never... I would have done that, or I would have done. It. He was just the most delightful man. Mm. I, I was very, and he was friends with Pop, up. wasn't he? Or Pop knew him. Oh, I don't know. I think oh, yeah, maybe I don't know. Because well, we had know. a thing. We did a thing at the, for the Great Outdoors down at the National. No, down at the Moona, and I played three holes with him. With oh, Thompson. right. There you go. It was unbelievable. And I hit a line drive into a bunker. One of his court, pot bunkers. One of his pot bunkers. <laughs> the one that goes up the hill out the back and goes. And the ball gets stuck in the sand oh. underneath the lip of the bunker. And so I said, hey, Peter, <clears throat> have a look at this. And he, and he went, well, that's not meant to happen. But by God, what an interesting shot. <laughs> right? But in that, in that sense of you saying that he, it, it wasn't arrogant, it wasn't. Yeah. It was literally, yep. here's the information you require. Yeah. I've given you that information. I've actually followed the information. Um, so it was good. So I just wondered if you'd had any things. Yeah, no, no I, would, I would love to have done that, but I would have, he would have turned out to be a twisted wreck if he'd watched me play golf with my grip, so I didn't ever do that to anyone. Yeah, how could much do, just, do you think your grip has affected your enjoyment of the game or your perception? I mean, you're quite a, you know, you'd, 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 you'd like to do the right thing by people and, you know, not make a fuss and not be, a, not mm. be looked at. So how much... Do, in that sense, how much do you think your grip has affected your enjoyment of? Oh, I think uh, I always sort of have to jokingly say to people if I'm playing with them the first time now, you know, excuse me, I'm not going that way, I'm really going that way. 
and knock, don't right. have to clear the back of the tee. I imagine going forward because they all go, what on earth? Yeah. What? It's been taking you a long time to make jokes. Of- oh, yeah, it has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except one group I played with at Riversdale, we went through them and the, the team fellowship said, oh, I've just got to ask you, what about your grip? And I said, oh, look, I've just... I've got my left arm's longer than my right. That's why I grip my knee. He said, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to talk about that. But uh, just on the grip business, and you'll notice these days a lot of the pros will do their nine-irons and wedges with their reverse grip and their putting as their reverse grip. Yeah, and I remember a lot of when, the pros. Oh, I think there's, there's quite a few. Well, I've seen quite a few now doing not the good, not the good it. ones. I'm yeah, looking for not it. the ones on TV. Yeah, no, no, I yeah. marked them down. There's a, there are at least five yeah. out of the three thousand pros that are playing golf. But um, I did have a lesson. Bruce Green was involved at Riversdale, and he was involved at Peninsula. So we got to know Bruce very well over mm. the journey, and he's a super, super guy. And I, he was at Royal Melbourne when I was from for a time was a member at Royal Melbourne and Bruce was the pro there and I rang him and said, Bruce, I wonder if I could have a lesson. He said, I've been trying to avoid you for 39 years. Yeah, he told me the same and thing. He said, <laughs> <laughs> so he told you about me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. He, I've done he, two, two podcasts with Bruce. He's oh, he's fantastic. Yeah. But he took me out onto the practice fairway, used my clubs, reversed his grip and hit the ball dead centre down the fairway every shot right. and said, it's nothing to do with your grip. It's got a lot to do with what's between your ears. Yeah. And you're swaying your body as if you know tomorrow. So it was, yeah. he, he fundamentally changed a number of things for me. Right. Sadly, it was quite late in terms of my, my either time to play golf and or my strength and so forth. It would get older. Um, but he did. I got longer after that with him because he kept me still and I... Then yeah. you kept handing me old drivers that you couldn't play, and they work for me still. Yeah. So it's it's been a, it's an interesting time actually. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. That that Mooner experience was... um something that I value very much in retrospect. Sadly, it didn't work financially for Golf Australia Holdings and was sold on to Paddy Hanbury. And uh, I joined the Paddy Hanbury board as a representative of the shareholders of, of Golf Australia Holdings for a time until Paddy sold it on to the Chinese. So it's, right. um, And we, as you know, we have the Dodo Charity Day, have done 20 yeah. years of that, or coming up 20 years of that nearly. Yeah. At Moona Links, and it's a wonderful venue. It's oh, a amazing. great venue, and yeah. it's a beautiful and the, course. And the Legends it's, course, it's funny, just on that sort of uh, 
it's not the snobbery sense, but the the sense of playing the better. You th- I've always thought the Moon, the Lynx course is the better course because that's where the Open was, and that's the one you want to play because it's the big. You mm. know, but the actual the other course is the Legends probably a better golf course and more fun. I think it's more fun, certainly. Um, Peter Thompson's influence of pot bunkers makes you have to go sideways to get out of them. So if you go in them, you're out, you know you know you've done a shot. It's very hard to yeah. play forward on those those. And he he does that. You know, he clearly did that by design. Yeah. He did it at, at the at the national where he when he had these uh, on the ocean course. He had these pot bunkers. But, yeah. But the Moon Moon was, was fabulous and will remain a very uh, a very oh, elite golf course. But the Legends is terrific. And then so you finished up there. Mm. So just and then. On you go. So by now you're 70 what when you oh, started at Lonsdale? I'd rather not. Oh, but when I started at Lonsdale, I was 76. 76. Yeah, 77, yeah. As, as part of the... the they, they had a group down there again who were wondering what they should be doing with Lonsdale and they, they rang me and just said, would you come and have... And it was with a couple of people again that my, Alan Cornell and your uncle... Um, my uncle was uh, your uncle. So my you, uncle you, is my godfather. <laughs> well, at least your uncle as well. I think your mum's brother, and he he had uh, was part of a group that uh, the governor at the time uh, was a member at Lonsdale and was recipient of. He said, you know, can we have a cup of coffee with with Peter and a couple of others? And we went down. We talked about it and a fellow called Ross McKenzie. They ran a they had a thing called a task force, which That's was it. a bit of a funny group, but. So I talked to them about that, wrote them a letter about where I thought they might think about things a bit more carefully. And Ross McKenzie said to me one day, I know you're not a member, but would you come on board the task force? As a, I said, yeah. He said, we haven't got any money. I said, oh, no, no money. I'm very happy to just sit when you and have your really meetings have and any talk money, to you. Which is the funny no, thing, no, isn't no, it? No, no, I didn't have any money. So, and it didn't matter. It was, the, it was just a purist thing about, mm. really, can you help? Yes, I can help, perhaps. And away we went. So... Uh, that was how it started. The, I was on that task force with a group of five or six. Some of them were specialists. Water, there was a water guy specialist, an engineer. Ross was an engineer, the chairman of it. Um, a couple of them had worked in, in building industry, so they had that sort of side of it. The greatest plus for Lonsdale was that there was land adjacent to them that was available to be bought. Um, with money they didn't have. With money they didn't have. But they had land as a consequence. If they bought, if they could get their hands on the on the other land, they had a, a space to be able to sell their asset of, of Lonsdale land, divide it into subdivision for housing, and then take that money and do what they need to do. That's a roundabout way of what actually happened. Um, yeah. So they and, lost their practice fairway. Oh, and a, a number, yeah, clubhouse and a number Fewer of other areas, and but, which is all houses, and they're good houses. Yeah, yeah, oh, they're superb. And we ended up with the final approval that was done by the Geelong Council was 102 building blocks were available to be sold, and um, you know that that represented a serious amount of money. It's a 60 million dollar sort of income if you could get it sold away happily, and then. The clubhouse had to be rebuilt in another place altogether, which wasn't going to be cheap. And Any idea on the cost of the clubhouse? That was a $9 million build. Okay. Um, and that's single and story? It's a single story, sitting on the top of the that's hill amazing, in though. the most pristine position you could possibly imagine. 
people didn't know it was there. You know, they knew it was there, but it was covered in trees. And it, the view now to the Lake Victoria is just, yeah. and the golf course is quite sensational yeah, the way it's, it's been designed because it, it's really changed from being a golf course where there were a lot of uh, non-indigenous planted trees, pines, and things all over it that weren't really necessary. Now, to get that in approval to have all those taken out required an enormous replanting approval as well of, of indigenous trees. So we wiped clean all the tall stuff and have put in over 15,000 types of varieties of trees right across the 18, new 18, the 18 holes, of which five are completely new holes out of farmland purchased. Yeah. And the club has now got a brand new course designed by OCCM or OCM as they are now. Yeah, who are the wonder kinds of the golfing industry? Well, they're doing very well at the moment, and they're great. They're lovely people to work with. Uh, particularly, we had um, uh, Ashley Mead as the project man on their side. Um, in the in the sort of the interim of the task force, before we ever got to the that stage of building anything, that the the task force recognised they were going to be able to make the right decisions as a task force. So they said, well, let's close down task force. Why don't you take on a job as a director? Yeah. Of which they, they paid me. So I became an employed person for Lonsdale Golf Club. Mm. And I said, there are ways that I can and can't do this. I can't do it where I'm working with a committee. And I had a project, I've had a project manager. I appointed a project manager who had done the RACV at Torquay, the RACV at at uh, Cape Shank and interviewed him and said he'd be interested and he was he's super young dynamic young guy fantastic at his craft and um, we literally just ran it with the president of the golf club and right. they, I would go to committee meetings to tell them what we were doing but there were no sort of by them saying we want you to do this it was just straight up and down so that's how we did it I suppose the question is so all golf clubs are full of committees mm. and eventually like eventually someone has to make a decision yeah because committees well is it your opinion that committees do hamstring the decision making process or well is it the idea that the eventually they'll come up with the best possible idea for the the greater good yeah look i think i think um what a lot of golf this is a very personal opinion uh, i think a lot of golf clubs miss the point that the real people who drive the golf club are the executive management appointed by the golf club as a general manager and all the staff that he has around him. Golf committees come and go. They're only there for a cycling period. But they often leave the pyramids. Oh, they they try to do that. Yeah. They try to do that. And that's, I think, the big... Oh, no, they do. You know, I hate that tree because I always hit it. That tree's coming out while I'm the president. Yeah. And that's the sort of thing that I think is is an unhappy consequence of the way committee structures work. In, we were just, again, very lucky because they knew they were at the, at the end of a very difficult period. They, they were, had no money, they had an opportunity, and the committee had said, OK, you've appointed these people, let's make these people do the job for us. There was the golf course architect, there was the building architect, there were all the approvals had to go through the Geelong City Council. There were hearings, there were all sorts of things. We had to mm. deal with the native titles, we had to deal mm. with environmental issues the orange valley parrot was a was an absolute disaster for us <laughs> so they were you know it's a, it's a very complex it's a complex little game yeah. so you don't want a hundred hands in it you just want to 
people yeah. who understand what they're doing and the project Oops. manager that I had on board really knew what he's doing so I kept out of his way yeah. make sure we got the process so right. how hard is it to manage the members then the expectation so, so well, just I, with regards to so for instance where I play at Long Reef there's a new a bunker plan is halfway through but it wasn't we weren't we were given the information and this is the thing we were given the information about what the plan would be right. but certainly not given a, a chance to ask I don't know know if we could ask questions but it was just here's what's happening yeah and you go okay which i think is fine yeah. because you go oh well someone's made a decision yeah fingers crossed it's going to be but, the best decision. presumably it's somebody who knows what they're doing yeah craig That's parry the, so yeah well there you go so you've, yeah. you've got you know You're hang your hat on good hands. you yeah. don't you don't put a craig parry in if you don't think craig parry's any good yeah he's doing a wonderful job so and again that was the same with ocm i think you didn't we didn't put anybody in or the architects who did the did the um the job on the building okay. it was I th- you know, I think I think you've got to got to communicate with the membership. We used to do walks. We'd have walk co- course walks and take them out to the un. And were they the, well attended? Pro- yeah, they were. Was it extraordinarily always the same? Was it always the same well. Oh yeah, basically because right. it's a very small community. Yeah. But there'd be fifty or sixty people, and we'd break them up into three groups, and with the yeah, golf architects, walk them through unmade parts and made parts. They had to make some big decisions. They they have, were guaranteed that the course would never be closed. And then I had oh, in the making of in it. In the making of it. There'd always be nine holes. And, that, and they went, oh, we'd, you know, no, I didn't, we'll live with that. And then it, it came to a point where I knew I had to close the course. We were going to be inefficient doing the work we had to do. So I rang John Christopherson, the president, whom I got on extremely well with, who had a similar background commercially that I'd had, so we understood each other when we talked, and said, I've got to shut the course, John. And on a phone call, I've got to shut the course. He said, how long for? And I thought, I'll go to the top of Mark here. I said, oh, about nine months. Are you there, John? <laughs> John, are you there? He said, seriously, how long? And I said, I need four months. Yeah. And we got it through. And we, the members, we took it to a, a subcommittee type group. Yeah. And they all said, you can't shut the course. And we said, well, this is what we've got to do. And this is the consequence if we don't. And they heard the don't side of it and went, we'll go along with that. Okay. They did a deal with Queenscliff, and all the members played at Queenscliff. It was a fantastic arrangement. Yeah. Okay. So, what have you learnt about golf and golf clubs in the reimagining of them? So, three, you know, in, in, the, in the beginning of things. So, the National and Moona and Lonsdale, and Lonsdale was a definite reimagination of the of what was. Available well, they were all new starts. And what was possible? Literally, the, yeah. the three of them were all new starts. So, I can't comment on a. You know what Royal Melbourne mm. would do, or Kingston Heath would do. No, but just and, the, what have you learned about this, the, the reimagination of, the, of golf and what is possible at, a, at, an, at an area? I think the thing I've learned about is bringing in experts. Don't rely on, don't necessarily rely on members. The best, I would, the one thing I've said over and over again: don't have a member running the thing. It's got to be someone with not a vested interest in the outcome. Vested interest only in in, in terms of a commercial result. Be a, have a vested interest in the outcome, but don't be a, a member with a. Oh, I want to play this every day, and I'm, you know, I don't like what you're doing. But so don't uh, have a spiritual so interest. Have a commercial. Have interest. a commercial. So I, I've always advocated that. Advocated because Bowen Heads, one of my member now, are doing some work on a clubhouse, and I said to their general manager when he rang me, "Because we've appointed the project manager I had as the project manager on that job at Bowen, for the very reason because he was so good. Mm. He was the one who did the work. I was." You know, managing the process, and he he just I said to him, don't let him report to a committee, and don't have 
don't have anyone who's in the club membership doing anything with this. So I was trying to you know, precluding myself from totally <laughs> fishing for a job. I'll resign if you want me to come on <laughs> But it was, uh, you know, it, they're the things I've, I've learned. And I haven't learned any more skills of golf, but I have learned just how... I think clubs work better. Yeah. But and, they and were three new starts, which yeah. was a fantastic and, thing. These have got better. And in your mind, what is the role of the club? Of the member of the of the, the committee of the committee? No, no, the the club. Where does the club sit? So where is a club? Like I know what I, where I think what I, I think the joy of a golf club is. What's your what do you think the joy oh, of a golf club I, is? From a from a I think look, I think it's a camaraderie that comes with it. And and the problem is that everybody who's in the club it's a me thing. I'm a, you know, it's me, I'm paying the subs, uh, I want to play with whom I like to play with, I don't necessarily want to be told I can do this or can't do that, you know, or otherwise pay my subs for me please. And I think there's a lot of me that goes on in golf clubs, but I think the best ones are where there's just a, a cosiness, a warmth and a real sense of camaraderie around it. And I think if you've got a, a really good working pro shop with the people who run the pro shop and make it really a place where you want to go to get mm. your bookings done and you buy, buy your balls and have a joke at the end while you're putting your scorecard in. I think that's a hub that's very critical to the success of it and then falls back on your, your staff when you come into the yeah. clubhouse for the beer at the end of the day if they're a welcoming crew and that's what they've now got at, at Lonsdale and they certainly had at other places. Yeah. So I think it, it's, a, it's a wholesome Really holistic thing. It's not just winning think, one part yeah, of it. I think holistic's very... a good word. It should be a warm embrace, you know, mm. the family sort of thing. Very much Sometimes so. they give you the shits and you're like, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. But the overarching feeling is I like, I enjoy walking into that spot. Yeah. Great. Yeah, right. yeah I think right. that's what, what do you wish you had have done, as a final question, what do you, do you wish you had have done in golf? Like, I know you've had a hole in one. We saw that on the golf show. <laughs> <laughs> what, do you, what do you wish you had have experienced? <laughs> is there anything you wish you had of experience? I would love to be able to hold my hand the right way and hit a golf club, but I can't. No, I don't think so, Andrew. I've, because I, I'm not a, uh, I'm really an administrator, not a, you know, not no, a no, golf course like, no, architect. No, 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 what do you wish you had of experience? Like, is there something you wish you had of gone to St Andrews or like, like I wish we had oh. gone to Bumboogle or, you know, done something yep. which we probably still could do, but yep. it'd be a hard, would you? Be a hard walk. Yeah, you no, no, walk no, it no, absolutely. And that would no. Be- I think I, no. I, look, I've I've been fortunate to play a couple of courses when I've been on conferences in in the UK, but never never been to St Andrews. Um, do I have a dying wish I must get to St Andrews? No, I I, I really don't. Um, so yeah, I, I, there are not many things that I, I languish around and think well, I wish I'd done that. Okay. I think I've done a. I've had a great time doing something I never thought I'd do in, in golf. So. Good enough. How good is golf, eh? How good. good on you, Dad. Okay. Terrific. Thanks right. very much. Right, Anna. Thanks for having me. So that's it. There he is, my dad, Peter. Um, and what a story. And it's interesting. We've talked over the years, you know, small bits about what he does, but never actually sat down like that and talked about what he has actually done. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. So if you've got someone or something to share or stories, please get in touch. Otherwise, I'm Andrew Dado and I've really enjoyed having you as part of the podcast today. Hope you liked it. See ya.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.